uh, welcome to our uh, uh, first podcast, Hand, Hands to the Plow. Uh, my name is John Free, and uh, I'm the co-founder of uh, the still unfounded uh, Kateri College of the Liberal and Practical Arts. And I'm here with my husband. I am Helen Free, the other co-founder of Kateri College. And this uh, series of podcasts, which we hope to begin to talk about education, to talk about uh, new views and visions of education that might be necessary for the future. Um, and we've named the podcast uh, such uh, for several reasons. One, uh, the tie-in, of course, with the gospel, the the notion that uh, um, God wants us to do something in our lives for the service of others. And Helen and I are lifelong teachers. Um, I have about 30 years teaching experience, uh, college uh, secondary, and even cut my teeth in third grade <laughs> elementary school and um, Helen uh, fewer years, but... Um, I have about 15 years. 15 years, in yeah. higher education. And now, of course, with homeschooling, we That's have right. experience <laughs> pre-K through going into fourth grade. Exactly. And uh, my background has been mostly mostly teaching at liberal arts colleges. I taught, I was tenured at Hillsdale College uh, before uh, going to help uh, the program at Wyoming Catholic College, and I've taught at Steubenville. Most recently, Helen and I spent five years in Lincoln, Nebraska, uh, where we helped uh, Bishop Conley begin the Newman Institute for Catholic Thought and Culture, which offers college, uh, college credit courses, uh, speaker programs, and great books, philosophy, theology to undergraduates and and that that uh, that program continues and flourishes but for the last um i'd say 10 years we've we've had on our mind a, a kind of different type of education a hybrid college uh which emphasizes the best of the liberal arts the best of what's been written and said and thought but combined or integrated with uh training in in hard skills, which are so much increasingly in demand, um, and and we we have uh, uh, this is not simply a a kind of uh, practical notion, but we really think philosophically that the the separation of these two realms, the realm of of manual work, the realm of intellectual work, has ended up um, has ended up uh, hurting both both of those areas, because each of those areas have their own values and virtues, which can complement each other nicely. So this, uh, this idea came to us, Helen, I guess it was when we spent that year in, in Santa Fe, no? Yeah, it was in 2013 that <coughs> you were at the Rosario uh, Novena, mm-hmm. and you looked over and you saw abandoned buildings across the cemetery at Santa Fe, and you thought, what are those buildings? And as you began to investigate it, you found that they had been the college that St. Catherine Drexel had founded in Santa Fe, mm-hmm. which had been closed. It had closed probably by, for about 20 years at that point. Yes. I think it may have been her, if I'm not mistaken, it may have been her first foundation mm-hmm. in the Southwest. Um, well, as we began to look into it, we found that not only was that Catholic college closed, but there was another Christian Brothers College that had closed in Santa Fe. Mm-hmm. And as a result, in the entire state of New Mexico, which is a very Catholic state, there wasn't a single Catholic college still in existence. And that, that frankly shocked us for, you know, just given New Mexico and its Catholic history and its Catholic culture mm-hmm. and its continuing Catholic population. Uh, and we began then looking, well, what, what are, what's the closest institution, Catholic institution of higher learning? And it really was probably Denver, mm-hmm. Regis in Denver. Uh, there was a few institutions, I think, in Phoenix. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was none in Utah. And I forget in Texas what the closest Catholic school was. But we realized there, there is a real lack or, uh, of Catholic higher education mm-hmm. in this part of the very Catholic 
Southwest. And that, that really, I think, was the seed for us of, of a new Catholic college. And we started this 10, we were, we were between, between jobs. I had been a principal in um, Orange County at a Catholic high school. And uh, we were uh, between jobs. Um, uh, we had been at Wyoming Catholic before that. And we were here for the year. And it was a kind of blessed uh, sabbatical year. It gave us a lot of time to think and and uh, and pray. Um, and we really loved uh, we loved New Me- we loved the culture of New Mexico. There was just the warmth, the warmth of the people and the the humanity. And uh, we we kind of fell in love with the with the state. Yeah, well, we actually had fallen in love with the state before <clears throat> when we were here on a on a type of mission trip. Uh, and we helped with what's called the Inhare, which is the remudding of an adobe church in in Taos, New Mexico, which is north of Santa Fe. And we we were completely adopted by the parishioners. Here we are, covered in mud and uh, hot, and not really knowing what we were doing. But the parishioners loved us, and we loved them, and we loved the work. We were fascinated by it, and so we actually uh, got married in that church. San Francisco de Assis. San Francisco de Assis in Rancho de Taos. Rancho de Taos. And so really it was that that trip to New Mexico, I even forget the year now, that began our, our love affair with the land of enchantment. Yes. Um, but, um, uh, yeah, so so again, on our, on our radar, on our minds for a long time, long enough that uh, at a certain point more recently looking at each other, talking at each other, we said, well, this this may not simply just be our idea. I mean, I never, um, I've loved education, I've loved being a teacher, but I never, you know, I, I never said at any point in my life, I, my, my, my life's goal, my life's dream is to found a college. I mean, who, who would who would want that <laughs> undertaking? <laughs> no, but it's. We said, well, maybe it's not simply our idea. Maybe there's a need. Maybe the Lord is is moving us in 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 this direction. Um, but reflecting on education over the years, and and I'm not sure of the history. I'm researching it now, but it seems to me in the 40s and 50s, um, even at the high school level there was a separation between two tracks, the so-called vocational track and the academic or pre-college track. And I think over the years that's that's hardened and calcified. And I think along with that was the prejudices in either direction. You know, somehow the, somehow the young man who wanted to be a plumber or uh, an electrician, he didn't have the, he didn't have the smarts to go to college, you know, so we'll, He'll go down the vocational track, and then somehow the the academic tracked student was uh, was more gifted intellectually, um, and that that process, as I say, calcified over the years, leading to a kind of disintegration. I mean, think about it: the human person is is meant to be integrated, uh, heart and soul, mind and hands, and uh, which is why, by the way, we've titled this podcast hands hands to the plow because um so much of what's gone wrong with the human experience is this disintegration we see it in the in the philosophical dualism of the early centuries the separation of matter and spirit we see it um we see it all through the middle ages in various manifestations and and the fruit of this manifestation in the human experience, lived human experience, is a lack of purpose, a lack of peace, a lack of joy, a lack of what the gospel calls the abundance of life, which is what each of us wants and what each of us has promised. Hmm. Well, you know, one of the things I thought we could do with this initial <clears throat> podcast of ours is go through the questions that we've been asked and we've answered individually and just privately, but in a public way, address some of these questions that that people have, have asked us. So sure. you've already begun talking about some of those, one of which was, why in the world would you have left the stable job at the Newman Institute in a, in a wonderful diocese with fantastic friends? So why in the world would you, would you have done this when everything was going so well at the Newman Institute, and now you pick up and we go to, to Gallup, 
uh, we're moving into a, a missionary RV that we've named Tekawitha, <laughs> um, with three young children, Teresa, who's nine, Joseph is about to turn seven, and John Paul will turn five in October. So that's yes. the first question we've asked, is why yeah. in the world did you do this? And in fact, it reminded me, when someone asked the, that question, another friend had, had asked us, or had said when we moved to Lincoln, oh great, maybe now you'll finally put down roots. <laughs> and I thought that was a little bit of a rude thing to say because we have been a little bit like the, the rolling stone, but it's not out of a sense of uh, discontent. I think that the moves that we've made have really all been after a lot of prayer and consultation and discussion that the yeah. moves that we've made have been because we, we strongly feel that God is calling us yeah. to to move. Uh, yeah. And perhaps God calls some people to move and some people to stay where they are. Sure. But, um, sure. I mean, yeah, so let's talk about that one first. Yeah, I think obviously it's a, it's a, it's a, it, it, from a natural point of view, it gives some trepidation you know, to give up, uh, to give up a salary, full-time salary and have to cobble uh, medical care together with three small children. But, I mean, you and I have talked, and you know, we have strangely, and maybe it's just foolishly, but I, I feel great peace about this because I think it's, I think it's a good venture, um, uh, apostolically and, and professionally. I think there's a need for it, and again, I, as I said, I, I think it may not be our idea after all. So why move? Uh, I mean, we were really blessed to be. Those five years in Lincoln saw lots of good done to many people, and really, with uh, with uh, Patrick Callahan, who's taking over the institute, uh, I, I really left with a great sense of relief. Uh, he'll he'll continue that work, and, and and Bishop Conley, I think, is is happy with uh, with the growth and direction. But you know, in the back, at least my, maybe it's a personality thing, but in the back of my mind, there's always been that that. What is it? It's the Duke and Alton push. It's to go deeper, or at least to be open to what you know what what God wants us to do. And there's a genuine, I guess, excitement about this. I think because we sense there's a genuine need. I I see in the coming decade decades a, a sea change in higher education, mm -hmm. and we need not go into all the details, but education which was, is really ideally directed at the perfection of, of the human person uh, in, in an integrated way, both intellectually and in their life, that, that um, vision has been circumscribed, shrunk. So even, <clears throat> you know, you look at the, you look at the um, promotional uh, material of colleges, and often you'll hear phrasing like the education, education for life or education of the whole person. Huh? But in fact, there's, in many cases, that's a false claim because the, the dimension of life, which is essential, spiritual, has in many cases, pe people don't, they don't want to go there. They've, they've removed that, they've excised that. And so often then college, college education is reduced to the, to the training in a particular field which is absolutely necessary to to make a living. I mean, but there's there's more. Yeah, well, <laughs> there's it, more to the human person than that. And more particularly in regards to the humanities, which is our field, you know, we've seen that that those particular areas of discipline really collapse to to ideology so that instead of professors uh, or departments there to serve the the work and to serve the truth that the work conveys, they want to use works to try to push certain truths that they see, uh, which really are not truths at all, but they're they're passing fads. And so, what you what we we have seen, many people have seen, is in uh, in most schools now, the humanities departments are the ones that uh, regular students avoid like the plague, and mm -hmm. they will go then into uh, things like you know economics or uh, or the sciences, the STEM programs, because there is there's less there's less ideological push in the STEM programs than there are in 
the language arts and humanities programs. Mm -hmm. And so for you, when you were at the Newman Institute, you had a lot of students who had never taken a literature course. Most of them were non-humanities majors who had not been jaded by a politicized approach to the... To the humanities, yeah, yeah, and yet what what is lost there? I think it shows two things. One, it shows the power of 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 the humanities itself, because the works in philosophy and theology and literature they can be used to bring a bring a young soul towards a certain direction. They're very moving. They're very beautiful, and the human mm-hmm. soul is moved by beauty and is moved by story. And that can become corrupted, unfortunately. And so I think you see both the power of those disciplines themselves that's there. And so if you have the lack of that, if you no longer have students who want anything to do with what once was the traditional liberal arts because they are not now what they once were, you have lost something so important for the human person. So if you have all these students who are only going into, say, the sciences, the STEM side of the university. Uh, and you have more radicals that are, are drifting towards the yeah. what once was the liberal arts disciplines, yeah. um, then this is a huge this it's, it's a huge loss. And there are whole fields, whole endeavors of of human uh, research and study, in particular the area of, of poetry. No where I mean poetry is Rightly understood, great poetry is eminently pragmatic because it talks about the reality (laughs) of the human condition and human experience. But the problem is poetry has has fallen from its its prophetic role, its role to teach and convey beauty and and meaning. And instead of a poetry of light, which was the which was the poetry that inspired, that helped people look towards the transcendent, we have a poetry of death, a poetry of darkness. And that's the dominant voice in poetry in the last century, century and a half. And so an undergraduate or a high school student exposed to that poetry... What's he to think of poetry? That's how is it helping him? Right? Well, I remember the story of that young man uh, at your Newman Institute course, who uh, was an engineering student. Yes, and he would travel every day to <clears throat> the engineering uh, school. I think from Omaha, or either to Omaha and back to Lincoln. Yes, but he took one of your Newman Institute classes, and I remember him coming over to our house one day and just saying. He didn't use the vulgar word. He used this word. He said, I friggin' love poetry now. <laughs> and I remember him saying that, and everybody laughed. Because he said he, he hated it before yeah. he ever took your class. But then after he actually studied yes. good poetry yeah. with a good teacher that wasn't trying to impose something that, that wasn't already present in the text, yeah. uh, he suddenly yeah. realized how beautiful and powerful yeah. poetry is. Could be. Because there's a connection. I mean, po- poetry is the most, when it's done well, it's the most condensed form of the language. And it crystallizes something in the human experience in a memorable way. And it teaches. Uh, just, uh, just an aside, one of, uh, one of the great Renaissance men of, of England, Philip Sidney, um, writes a, a now little red thesis um, called The Defense of Poesy. And he says, he makes a claim, a radical claim. I think it makes philosophers and theologians nervous, but there's truth there. He says, poetry is the better teacher than philosophy and theology because it has a more universal appeal. It Mm. speaks to the heart, it speaks to images, it speaks to stories and the experiences of ordinary people. And those lessons embed themselves in the soul more easily than do the hard lessons of, of philosophy and theology, which require a more specific and, and technical, technical knowledge. But in any case, you know, you think of the great uh, European universities, you know, Bologna and Salamanca and Oxford. And, I mean, there was, this, there was this integration. I mean, they were set up to train, to train clerics in, in theology, but this broad approach to every truth under the sun, which of course for them was simply a manifestation of, of the one truth. And we're in an age, of course, where 
where truth is is in crisis. The very existence of it is denied, which explains why there's been such a circumscription or narrowing of what is now intended as a college education. Hmm. No? Um, there's another connection, too, I think that we're trying to work out and, and put into this program, this integrated program, and that's this, that that um, there's a moral dimension to learning as well, or a character dimension. You, know, you think of think of the 19th century, one of the classic works of American education was McGuffey's Reader, <laughs> which yeah. taught people to read and spell and syntax, but it also recognized that there was a need to to form to form character, to form characteristics, um, again, as part of this integrated development of, of, of the human person. And I think, I think faith-based institutions, Catholic and Christian, have the advantage is that, in that they, they have a much more rich and comprehensive anthropology. And what they're looking to convey to their students is, again, an integrated fullness of life. I mean, we, what, what do we want? What are we made for? We're made for, we're made for happiness, even on, even on a natural level. And can we be natural? Can we have that happiness or approach it if we, if we disintegrate our lives into, into various directions, none of which are, are connected? Well, you know, that, what you're saying here, it makes me point to another question that we've been asked. Uh, and it really is a question that points to this, this bifurcation of our education, bifurcation of our, of our culture. Um, and that is, why the liberal and the practical arts? Why not the one, <clears throat> liberal, or the other, practical? Yes. And, and another objection to what we're doing has come up, which is, no one does this, so no one combines these two. So maybe there's a reason. Maybe maybe it yeah. hasn't been done. Yeah. Maybe it hasn't been done because the four-year university or the four-year liberal arts college is fundamentally separate from yeah. the vocational education. And yes. so our attempt to, to truly blend this in a four-year yes. uh, a four-year college bachelor of liberal bachelor of arts in liberal and practical arts. Our our design is already flawed from its inception. Yes. No. So it, let's talk it, about that for a little bit. Okay. Why hasn't this been? Why hasn't this been done? Or why isn't it being done? I think it hasn't been done because of this traditional separation, which seems to have just happened and and been accepted, maybe in an uncritical way, hmm? possibly because of the notion that while well, specialization in a trade or in a in an academic pursuit, requires more more time and energy than than sixty credits. You know, you need one hundred and twenty credits rather than sixty. So it may be that. Um, um, part of part of me thinks that uh, uh, that again those those two pursuits, the the two types of learning, the learning of a of a hard skill, manual skill requires a kind of intellect, practical intellect, um, which is very different from the type of intellect needed to master a subject area, no? Or write yeah. a cogent argument or, or analyze. Um, so there, there are different skills, virtues uh, associated with each, which e with each of these pursuits. And my, my thought is that they, they, they complement each other yeah. towards the development of of the whole person. The other point is, I think, I think universities, um, maybe it's a financial motive. I think more could be done in less time. Yes, you absolutely. see, when you think about think about a typical American university, I, I, I thought about this recently. Uh, the, you know, there's almost there's almost a cradle to grave mentality that. The university has to provide everything for the young adult, <laughs> from sporting activities to food courts to social life to movies to extracurricular, and ice cream. And store. you know that's that's certainly not the case in the European experience. You, if you want to play 
soccer or football you know, at, a, at a German university, you join the local soccer club. The university doesn't provide the soccer club. You're there to study. Does, does, when you were at Oxford, did it have a lazy, it, did it have yeah, a lazy river? I did not. A no, climbing rock? No lazy river Did it have Oxford. a food court? No. With a Chick-fil-A? Uh, no. No, no, it didn't. Uh, um, so, no, I think there's this attitude that, and it's kind of a patronizing attitude when you think of it. You know, here's an 18-year-old, a 19-year-old is an adult, and we have to we have to think for them and provide all of their, well, think of think of the amount of time and 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 money that that takes. You know, I mean this this operation uh, would necessarily because because it, it would start poor, it would necessarily be very lean. I mean, we're interested in, in we're interested in, in equipping the heart and mind with, as I say, the best that's been said and written to help people to think, to analyze, to read the reality of the world, um, to understand their human nature, to understand their place in, in the universe, coupled with a the dignity and and legitimate pride that comes from mastering mastering a skill that's needed and and increasingly so in well, society you know people say have objected to this saying oh this isn't possible it's a little foolish to try this um mostly because i think it it, it isn't there isn't a model that we can clearly follow in yes. what we're doing uh, others said well, why are why aren't you just building upon the existent liberal arts colleges yeah and how we've responded is you know the 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 existing liberal arts colleges the ones that are thriving and expanding and and are going to survive they offer their own their own niche is their own approach yes to the truth and that is fine that the human person isn't just uh isn't just coming off in an assembly line and is exactly the same so different educations appeal to different human persons and so just to say oh well you just need one type of catholic liberal arts education and that's good enough for everybody that's just not true we've worked at excellent liberal arts colleges ones that are both secular like hillsdale as well as ones that are catholic um and uh and there is room for for all of it but what we find is not yet offered in a four-year way, uh, is this is this integration of the liberal and the practical, which is not actually new in looking at education. No, not, not at all. It was so common for someone who had who had been through elementary, primary school, and they, they had no intention of going past eighth grade because yeah. they had to work on the farm. Um, but they had an education up to yeah. eighth grade that was <clears throat> fully integrated, both in what we're talking about with the liberal arts, but also with this very practical yeah. trade skill. Like you've talked about your own father, uh, God rest his soul, um, grew up his whole life in Brooklyn. Yeah. Um, you, you tell a story about him yeah. and his education. Yeah, and- I mean, um, da- my dad was second second generation Irish German in, in New York, grew up in Brooklyn, went to St. Francis High School, which then uh, was was quite rigorous, Catholic high school. Um, and his high school education was what we would consider today classical education. They read, you know, they studied Latin, they read, they read Caesar. Um, and, and yet these were all young men um, who, because of the depression in the 30s, ended up going into factories and learning how to be plumbers and stone cutters. But what always struck me about my dad, and, and, and this, this speaks to that generation as, as different from our own, um, that these, again, these men were laborers, they had trades, um, but there was no animosity whatsoever towards the life of learning or towards the life of the great books, and my my dad's first anniversary present to to my mom, who was also not college educated, was a was a beautiful uh, hardbound translation of Dante. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, that. yeah. Well, your mother was Italian, and she was Italian, so, yes. maybe so that was that part of it. <laughs> but no, but thinking, and then on my mother's side, which were more recent, they were uh, my mother was was first generation uh, immigrant from Italy. Grew up in the Bronx, right close to the old great Yankee Stadium, where she used to watch 
Lou Gehrig as a little girl, but he, her her uncles and and her extended family, some of whom I knew towards the end of their life, these were these were trained, kind of hard hard boiled stone workers, workers in plaster, um, carpenters, but they you you could find you could find volumes of poetry on their bookshelves, and they would go. They'd they'd listen to the the phonograph recordings of Verde and I mean they in other words they there was no sense that that world the intellectual world mm. was somehow yeah. beyond them yeah. that was part of their patrimony yeah. and and one of the I think one of the effects of this separation or divorce has been to create as it were two hostile camps each which each having prejudices towards the other. So the working class guy today, typically more girl, might say, you know, I don't, I don't need books. It's all this poetry. These guys have their heads in the clouds. They don't know a difference, you know, between one wrench and another. And, and they're partly right. But then on the other side, you've got, you've got the self, um, people who are convinced of their own intellect, which is always a dangerous thing, <laughs> um, either actively or um, indirectly looking down their noses at those that do manual work. Yeah. And then the resentment that follows from that and the rejection of it, you see? Yeah, well, you see that with the stereotypes, again, of both, of yes. both people. So you have, on the one hand, uh, the stereotype of the trades, of the, the cultivation of coarseness, uh, you know, when you see it when cartoons, you know, gap tooth, bruise over the eye, um, sleeveless shirt, tattoos, yeah, uh, and just and just coarse, coarse language, coarse behavior. Yeah, um, you don't you certainly don't want to invite them to your to your Thanksgiving dinner. Yeah, you know, that type of stereotype of yeah. uh, of the tradesman or, or tradeswoman. And on the other hand. You have this image of the intellectual with the pipe and the little uh, leather sleeves uh, there, speaking <laughs> and, in a faux British yeah, accent. Yeah, and an overlay of an overlay of. Pre I mean, every. I mean, look, fallen human nature. Every every group, every subgroup within the human family has its vices, and its virtues. You know, and at least because we've been in the, in the in the academic side of things, and you know, as you grow older, you see you see these things. And not just in others, you see, you see it in yourself. But, but the real temptation towards, towards pretense, um, the temptation to 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 pretend that you know what you do not do not know, because so many people around you are, are maybe more widely read or educated, which is ironic because the whole the whole pursuit of the academic life, is. Is the acquisition of the truth, yeah. and if if the truth then if the living out of that is intermixed with pretense and duplicity and and shamming, it defeats the whole. It defeats the purpose of what we're supposed to be doing. Well, you know, our conversation right now really is um, addressing a number of questions that that we've been asked because another question, and I think, it's, and I think it's this combination of the two that people they both say, "Oh, this is amazing. This is really needed," and. You know, those that have graduated have, sa have said, I wish that I had a practical skill. Mm -hmm. um, or people that are coming up, their children are in, in high school are saying, even if we've had so many uh, parents whose, whose children are seniors saying, can we send our child there next year? And we said, no, <laughs> no, 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 not, not yet. Not quite. We've got some, some work to do. But one of the questions we've, asked is, or we've been asked is, well, aren't philosophy and poetry and uh, theology, aren't those pointless for someone who's, quote unquote, just going to be a plumber or just going to be a welder? Or on the other hand, we've gotten this idea that somehow people say, well, well can't you just pay someone to fix your pipes, um, <laughs> put in your electricity, fix your engine uh, while you do again, quote-unquote, more important work. Yeah. So there's already this strange yeah. attitude yeah. on both sides. Yeah. This idea that somehow philosophy and poetry is some for an elevated an yeah. elevated class, yeah. people that aren't, uh, that aren't quite normal. They're the ones that, are, that should be the, the, the leaders, uh, yeah. the rulers. Yeah. And everyone else are the ones that fix the pipes and do the yeah. plumbing. No, that's um, great. I mean, it's, it's a vast question, which obviously we... 
maybe we'll touch on in the future. One of the things we hope to do in these podcasts is not not just talk Helen and I with each other, but to talk with people who are looking closely at at culture and analyzing it, the culture of education, and that's that's what we hope to bring in 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 the months and, and years to come. But you went back to that. The, go back to that phrase. The the you know the more more important things to do. Yes. Well, think about it this way: that what's the, what is the most important thing to do as the human person? It's to it's to I mean, Jesus, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So there's an element from a Christian point of view of perfecting the individual. Now, is the individual perfected through one form of work rather than another? No, different people have different inclinations and different skills and different interests because we are, if we, if we really believe that each of us is unique, a unique individual, there will be many, many differences. Um, but, um, you know, we, we haven't even talked about it this time, but we will, but we have a whole centuries-old tradition of a spirituality of work. I mean, one of the most mm -hmm. discouraging things to see, and I've, you know, I've crossed paths in construction sites, and I've done, I've done some of that work, and to see somebody working an eight- or ten-hour day on a construction site, and all but miserable, basically, the the you know there's a whole genre of country music you know to, to take this job and shove it and you know basically i got to put up with this 8 hours cuz i got to put food on the table but this does nothing for me yeah nothing mm -hmm. for my human nothing for me but really from a christian point of view that the notion that everything is everything is is an answer to the invitation of god to to participate in his world then all of a sudden now we're talking about the most humble occupation, uh, uh, somehow having a, a transcendent dimension and a dimension of purpose, and I mean, look, look at, look at the early, look at the early church. I mean, look at, look at Joseph's workshop. Paul uh, look at Paul making tents. Look at, Peter look at Isidro. Look at Peter as a fisherman. I mean, they yeah, worked. They worked with their hands, mm -hmm. no, but working with their hands did not rob them of their dignity in fact quite the opposite it was the, yeah. it's what it's they they threw themselves into that work because that was part of their human condition yeah and along with it they were not resentful towards the the so-called those of the so-called higher professions yeah and i think this will be a podcast for another time because one of the books i'm reading right now is uh Shop Class as Soulcraft by Matthew Crawford, I think his last name is. And he makes a really interesting argument that our attitude towards work changed with uh, Henry Ford and his manufacturing plant because mm -hmm. with, the, with the introduction of the assembly line, you took away from workers creativity, the creativity that once was involved with every... Uh, every tradesman and his craft and that mm -hmm. the tradesman brought something to the trade that was his own ingenuity, his own idea. Yeah. But with the rise of the assembly line, you don't want someone introducing something new into the assembly line because it'll screw the whole thing up. Yeah. They need to have everyone doing yeah. the exact same thing. And I remember a man... I, didn't, I don't know his name because he just came to the church door. I remember that story from when I taught RCIA yes. in Hillsdale. Yeah. And, uh, and he, was, he worked in a, a bucket factory in northern Ohio, and he simply all day long put the handle on, on the bucket. The bucket. Yeah. And he was looking for something more. And yeah. uh, it was, a, I still remember, a very moving experience. But I remember after he left, I thought, that must be a really soul-destroying type of day in which yes. all day long you are yes. simply putting a handle on a bucket. Yes. Um, and, of course, he came to the church because what he was looking for was that, that sense and that pull from his soul that yeah. I am made for something more yes. than putting handles on buckets in the Northern Ohio plastic yes. factory. You know, here we are in Gallup, and that reminds me, in connection with the culture here, you have a rich culture among the Navajos and, and others of the weaving of carpets. Yes. And what's fascinating about that, the, the, the ones who are proficient weavers, is that 
they follow a general pattern, and they're beautiful patterns, if anyone knows those carpets. Um, but intentionally within the works of those carpets, as I understand it, they, they leave them a slight imperfection. Hmm. And the reason they leave the imperfection is because they see a connection between human work, the work of their hands, and the, what they might call a, 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 a divine inspiration, and they leave the imperfection, as it were, to open it up to the possibility mm. of of something beyond themselves. That's beautiful. Talk about a, a, a rich philosophical understanding of work. Um, but so, I mean, part of the, uh, again, the curriculum, and we'll talk about that more in detail in time to come, the well, idea... That's another question. Yeah. Someone said, what's this curriculum going to look like? It's going to so look like 60, six, roughly 60... Um, Credits on the liberal arts side, humanities, uh, history, uh, philosophy, theology. But unlike many of the institutions that we've taught at Wyoming Catholic and uh, uh, familiar with Steubenville, all of which do great work, and we, we, we have great admiration for the faculty and for the students that have come out of there. They've become dear, dear friends. Uh, uh, but um, one could... Um, one could convey some of the essential things that are conveyed in a four-year liberal arts program with fewer credits, huh? reading fewer works, mm-hmm. um, uh, but reading them intelligently and guiding students through it, thus opening up another 50, 60 credits for the training the initial training in a hard skill such that when a student graduated from Kateri College, he or she would graduate with a four-year liberal arts degree, but with a the beginning certification in, say, uh, plumbing or electrician or commercial construction. baking, construction, mm-hmm. and they would be well well on their way as a journeyman yeah. to be apprenticed. And, and to, you know, some of the state programs now even with one or two years certification, as the, as the mastership continues, they can begin earning reasonable money. Well, and, more, and that's than, another, more than reasonable money. More than reasonable money, yeah. yeah. But it's not just about the money. No, not Because at all. we've had also people say, oh, well, your students will be able to, to be great workers, you know, get paid really well. And there's something about me that, yeah, yeah. that shies away from that because the the problem of our education, whether it's vocational or whether it's university, has become this, I think, awful shift to only looking at people as money earners. Like that somehow defines our existence is how much money do you make? Yes. And so it's this, it's yeah. this financial dimension yeah. where yeah. you're just looking at education yeah. in a utilitarian way uh, to make money. Yeah. And yes, it is quite true right now that in some sense, if you want to make money, Forget the universities, go vocational, and you could be a millionaire by 28 or 29. Yeah. No debt, and you just you know, invest your income. But that's not what the human person is, is about. You Being a millionaire at 28 will not satisfy the longings of the human soul. So our whole education, yes, it will produce graduates who will be able to get a job very easily and get paid very well. And who will graduate with less student debt. And perhaps no student debt. Um, yes. If we're able to, uh, to form the relationships that we need for students to essentially already be working uh, for local construction companies, for local businessmen, uh, perhaps even for our own a company that we're considering forming uh, in connect in connection with the college, uh, that will be part of it. But of course, that is not the point of education. The point of That's education, right. and from a Christian perspective, is to direct the soul to heaven, um, move it from the earthly to the heavenly. Yes. Uh, and that's so essential because otherwise, no matter how much money you have, you will not be happy. No. And the reverse is true too, that even in poverty, even in suffering, if you have the fundamental truth of, of God's grace and the redemption that, that Christ has given to us, then there is your happiness. Yes. And, mm-hmm. and let's, let's talk, then, we're a certain amount of time for this initial podcast, but let's talk a little bit about Gallup. Um, yes. And we'll talk more about this. Our, our intention is to 
have discussions with our uh, with our board members, one of whom is Bishop James Wall. And so we have a discussion with him about Gallup, um, but it has been a repeated question to us. Uh, why in the world are you doing this in Gallup and not, not say Phoenix, a huge metroplex, or why yes. not Albuquerque or beautiful Santa Fe? Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people don't even know what Gallup is. They think it's the... Uh, Oh, that company that does surveys. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so let's talk a little bit about Gallup because it does connect it to, does. to poverty. It does. There's great poverty in Gallup. Um, part of the, of the largest reservation in the country is just to the north of us, the Four Corners, the Navajo Reservation. I think there's there are 250,000 people. Great social problems, um, unemployment, uh, discouragement, um, and of course, we're surrounded uh, other uh, Zuni, uh, Apache, so on and so forth. It's a it's a depressed town, Gallup, economically. So there's a great need, but part of that depression is spiritual. Going back to the, again, the you lose the reason for, you lose the purpose of work, you lose the dignity that comes from a skill, and you and you drift. You drift through the day. Um, as, as Eliot says, T.S. Eliot distracted from distraction by distraction. There's no, there's no purpose. There's no fire. So part of it is that, and along with that, by the way, Gallup, uh, from a Catholic point of view, it's it's probably, if not the poorest, one of the poorest dioceses in the country. So we see a real need here. This was the great Catherine Drexel's point. Philadelphia heiress millionaire who said the 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 Native Americans and the and the and the and the, and the blacks of the South are, are are desperate for for training for education for help so she founds she with with that money she founds a religious order dedicated specifically to that population um, which we need to remind ourselves of the great the great good that came out of that those those apostolates. But Gallup also, from a practical point of view, from, from our point of view, it's easier to start something here because of the poverty than it is in, in uh, the high-priced areas of Santa Fe or mm-hmm. where, where people want to go because they're, I mean, they're beautiful cities. They're elegant. They're cities of culture. And, um, so... Um, yeah, I mean, I, I mentioned this to Bishop Wall recently. Uh, the, there's there's a there's a, a Nazareth aspect to Gallup. Uh, you know, no one yeah. no one gives no one it a second it thought. <laughs> but on the other hand, there there are, there are wonderful uh, people here, people deeply motivated by faith, and there's a there's a humanity here, and a and a kind of fellowship which is quite. As an outsider, outsiders coming in, we've we've experienced that. And also, to be to be honest, it's such a deep, deep richness to the Navajo culture. And we also have on our board uh, Daniel Berg, who's a member of the Navajo Nation, and we'll talk to him about uh, about the Navajo history here mm-hmm. and how he sees this college could really help uh, as an outreach, missionary outreach to the uh, to the Navajo and other Native Americans that are in the area, which is one of the reasons why um, we wanted to name our college after St. Kateri Tekawitha. Um, now, her pronunciation can be Kateri or Kateri. Uh, I've chosen just to go with the Kateri. This is my, my Midwestern accent <laughs> uh, demands. Uh, but, um, but anyways, whether you call her Kateri or Kateri, it's the same beautiful lily of the Mohawks. And we wanted to name it after her in honor of where we are. Uh, again, the, the Navajo Reservation is the largest Native American reservation in the United States. Um, and of course, it's not just the Navajo, as John mentioned. Um, but Kateri also relates to Catherine and Catherine Drexel. And so our, our admiration and love for St. Catherine Drexel is also built into the name of Kateri. And then the third Catherine who's of such great importance, is Catherine of Alexandria. And John went to St. Catherine's College in Oxford. And St. Catherine, of course, is the patron saint of philosophy and philosophy learning. And, learning and, mm-hmm. um, 
And so all of these Catherines, um, and there's other Catherines too that, that come into play, but uh, they're all part of, of the naming of it, yes. under the, the, the patronage of, yes. these, of, these wonderful, of these wonderful saints. So our plan, uh, uh, time is short here, um, we, could, we could continue today, but won't. Um, so the plan is, uh, as I say, we're, I left, I left the, we left the Institute uh, several months ago, finished out our contract. Um, and we sold our house. We, we put, sold our house. We put our chips on the table. As yeah, it is. sold we, our house. And actually, we sold in eight hours, given what's <laughs> going on. So I think St. Joseph helped us, and we we decided we don't we don't have we don't have real money, and uh, you know I worked I worked in I was in missionary work for a while, so I don't have a I don't have a nest egg, <laughs> as it were. So we said, all right, we we did well on this house, and. Uh, in terms of uh, uh, profitability, and so we took ten percent of it and we put it into the the new Kateri College account. And then I had one, we had one uh, plot of land up here which we sold to a doctor. And same thing. So that's our that's our initial <laughs> funding. You know, think uh, think mustard seed. Um, but two two just beautiful things recently. In fact, just yesterday, post office. We still have a post office box here in in the Fort Wingate nearby, and I open it up, and it's a little letter from a 87-year-old retired Catholic teacher in Florida mm-hmm. who'd, right. who'd seen our website and said, wrote a check for, he says, I don't have much money, he wrote a check for $500, I said, I'll, I'll be sending you more. Yeah, more than six months. <laughs> and I yeah. thought, yeah, from small from yeah. small beginnings, I was really, I was really moved by that. Um, or to, and then the other story. Yes, of, you have uh, to tell. And then yeah, we and then we should wrap that. it up. Uh, yeah, before leaving, before leaving uh, Lincoln, I took the truck, the, took the old Toyota Tundra truck in to a really great mechanic, a Vietnamese refugee, came out of Vietnam as a 15-year-old on a boat and, and learned, mastered auto mechanics, such that now he's in his 50s, a Catholic, uh, 60 maybe? I was in the yeah, 60s. Okay. All right. Yeah, he looks young. <laughs> he, uh, so he's got a big shop now. He's got eight, eight or ten people working for him, Vietnamese and uh, Hispanics. And two of his boys who are studying at the university are also expert mechanics. So he said, well, why, why, are, you, why are you leaving Lincoln? Don't you like it? And I said, no, no. I said, we, we, just, we think we should we're gonna go to New Mexico. And what will you do there? Well, uh, I was always reluctant initially because it's not the sort of thing you... Uh, I said, well, I think I was founding a new college. He said, a new college? And he was so intrigued. Um, talk about intellectual curiosity. He's a, I mean, he's a mechanic, but he's obviously a thinking man, a thoughtful man. So when, when it comes time to deliver the truck after he's done, instead of sending one of his sons or one of his workers, he, he shows up driving the truck. Obviously, he wants he wants to hear more about the college and I'm driving him back to his shop and he's he's pumping me for information and it was it was curious and 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 so finally time time ran on and I said well knock what 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 do I owe you he said well spark plugs and labor he said four hundred dollars the fair price and then he put up his hand and said said uh this should be the first contribution to your college. <laughs> and he said, what did he say after that? Well, he said after that, he said, and, he said, and maybe when I retire, I can come be and be a janitor yeah, at Kateri College. And I'm thinking, janitor? You could be a professor. And that's what you said to him. Me- I said that. I said, yeah. you're a professor of mecha- auto mechanics. Yeah. And his eyes lit up, no? Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, so... So it's it will be uh, we'll see what will happen, uh, we'll see what the Lord wants to introduce us to the people we need to meet, mm-hmm. yes. to find those who have a heart for this education, because uh, we can't do it. We'll we'll put we'll put what we have on the table. Well, this uh, is this is what we call our loaves and fish, and that that's been the recurring image this whole past year for me in prayer, and then also the signs that have been have been given to us is. What we what we have to offer is is very simple to God, just our loaves and fish. But the response that's always come back to me in prayer is, 
offer me that and then step aside and let me, God, multiply them. Yeah. Um, and so that is what we're doing. We're offering God our loaves and fish. Um, like I said, we, we're moving into a, uh, an so, RV. Sold the house. <laughs> yeah. We're going to be living <laughs> in the next crazy, year but... in an RV. And driving um, around the country, mm-hmm. uh, both promoting the school to future families and students, explaining this philosophical vision of a of a truly married education of vocational and practical, because it does need some explaining to people. And uh, yeah. some people immediately see it, see the connection. Others like, oh, I don't think so. Uh, and so we'll both be, both be promoting it, but also, of course, fundraising for it. Those who have been blessed with, uh, with money, or even those like the retired, the retired school teacher who, who sees the need, sees the need for this new type of education. Uh, we, we'll be going in our missionary RV around the country and uh, promoting and fundraising. I think, and with the promise to, to investors or benefactors that th- this... This this will be lean. I mean, this 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 college will be run well with a with a really living wage, Catholic wage mm-hmm. for faculty and staff. Yep. Maybe better than what's on offer elsewhere because that's been that's been a problem in the field of Catholic education. But no no heavy administrative costs. No no huge salaries for. Presidents, presidents or vi- no multiple no. layers of vice presidents, no vice presidents for diversity. Well, no. <laughs> well right now you are the president yeah. of, a, of a college and your salary is extremely lean, um, as in zero dollars a month um, at this point. Because that's not the, that's not the point of our doing this anyways. Um, and yes, we, we will have a very lean operation, but it will be a beautiful operation mm-hmm. uh, because you know, what is most fundamental to the human person is the fellowship that you share one with another. And when you introduce things that are essential to the human person, like prayer and, uh, and study and the study of the truth and friendship and, and fellowship. Friendship, then in some sense, you could be in a hovel and you would have happiness yes. right there in a hovel. Whereas you could be in a mansion and lack those things and be so lonely and so sad. And so we're not going to have a mansion, nor are we going to have a hovel here for people, students. Uh, but we will not have gorgeous, elaborate, expensive buildings mm-hmm. um, because we would prefer to put that money into scholarships for students. It's much more important in our understanding to graduate students debt-free than to have them have, have had a, you know, a club med uh, experience um, at, at college. Um, I don't want them paying for a gorgeous, elaborate building with a pool and a hot tub and a lazy river and a climbing wall. I want them to be able to graduate without having to pay back a, a lender for the next 10 years of their, of their life. Yes. Um, so well, go to our website. It's www.katiricollege.org. Um, look more at what we're doing. Um, we are going on this trip around the country, and we would we would love to stop and uh, visit with as many people as possible along the route. And we're going to be updating on the website and also on our Facebook page what cities we're going to, when we'll be there. And so if there is a city that that you live in and you want us to come, you want to meet us, you want to talk, have us, you talk to folks about, uh, about the college in the future, then uh, send us an email, let us know, and we'll try to try to work something out. Um, but I think it'll be exciting and it will be a very grace-filled, grace-filled year. Yes. So, so thank you. Thank you for joining us today. Um, we went longer than we thought. But that's okay. First we time just got too we got to too excited, <laughs> um, and we look forward to hearing from you. Your questions, um, your advice, your counsel. Uh, a college is the sort of thing that, um, throughout human history, you said, "Well, who, who found who founds a college?" Well, everybody's founding a college for the most part for the first time. So we're <laughs> we're we're we're. We're, we're, we're making our way. We're asking, uh, asking uh, Mary, uh, make the way safe, you know, for us and, uh, and inspire us. Uh, we're open, we're open to what, what we're meant to do. And, 
and we're happy that you want to join us in this journey. Well, we're recording this on the Feast of the Assumption, so let's conclude with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. amen. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, we ask you to, to be with us, to be, move our hearts. We know that the, there is a hunger in the human heart for truth, which is you. We know that nothing less than you will fulfill us. Um, and we ask for your grace upon our endeavor and on the endeavors of all who who seek the good, the true, and, and the beautiful. We ask this as we pray. Our Father, who art, who art in heaven, heaven hallowed, hallowed be thy name. Thy, thy kingdom, kingdom come, thy, thy will be done, done on earth as it is in heaven. heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. St. Kateri. Pray for us. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much, people. God bless you. Bye-bye.